there. You already know the other spot. Unless you want to switch. You already know the other spot. Going off the curl. Adversity has no grade nor scale. Doesn't have an alarm clock nor demographic. Basketball coaches are always under scrutiny to win, and if they don't perform well, they can be dismissed easily. Eastern Tennessee State's head coach Steve Forbes, well, he worked hard for the past 26 years to get this opportunity, and it wasn't easy. And like many other coaches, his story is unique. And like many coaches, he has a lot of stories to tell. Oh, yeah. It's all about the drive, baby. On the road with Ryan Blake. We're here at the Playback Sound Studios in downtown Atlanta with East Tennessee State's head men's basketball coach, Steve Forbes, after we just followed up the morning shoot-around at the Georgia State's gym in preparation for the Bucks' first regular season game tonight at 7 p.m. Thank you for spending the time today to hang out with me. It is Tuesday, November 6th. Did you vote, and did the players vote? I feel really bad. You know, I registered to vote, and then it dawned on me about two days ago that I wasn't going to be in town when the vote took place, and so I didn't do my early voting. So I have to tell you that, no, I didn't get a vote because I didn't plan ahead. Oh, and I called you out on that. I'm, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, did any, what about the what about the kids? You know, they're just having a hard time remembering the plays right now. I don't know if they can remember the vote. <laughs> yeah, nice, yeah so. seeing BJ out there, yeah. uh, his voice resonates pretty loud, doesn't he? He's, he's a big personality, <laughs> yeah. by, by, for sure. Now, you're entering your fourth year here as a head mm-hmm. coach. The Bucks are coming off a 25-win season, which included a 16-game win streak, which also tied a school record. And also stood as the longest win streak in the country at one point, one point during that run. Uh, you also tied a program record with 11 true road wins a year ago. Uh, and that was your third consecutive appearance in the Southern Conference Tournament Championship game, which I thought that you, y'all should have been invited. I'm just saying. I'll just go ahead and throw that okay. out there. Now, um, two years ago, you and your staff earned, of course, that the team's 10th trip to the NCAA tournament with a victory over UNCG in the finals of the SOCON tournament. But the road back to coaching, of course, it had a major setback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and becoming a head coach you know, through this path wasn't something that you would probably recommend to anyone. No, I would have never thought um, on my birthday – March 22nd, 2011, that I'd ever be a head Division One coach because I got fired, you know, at, at Tennessee. And so when that day happened, and I remember cleaning out my office with my son, who's now my GA, uh, thinking to myself, well, what's next? You know, and uh, I never would have dreamed that, you know, very four years later, you know, I'd be a head Division One coach back in the state of Tennessee, only 90 miles from where we got fired. But, you know, the thing about it is when you get fired – you got a choice. You can get better or you can get better, you know, and I just chose to get better and I chose to keep coaching. And, you know, I had the opportunity to go back to junior college where I started. And a lot of people thought, well, why would you do that? Well, it's coaching. And it also get you get to help young men change their lives in junior college because you can help them move on to the four-year level. And so I was I had the opportunity to go back to junior college and, you know, we went 62-6 and six the two years I was there. We went to two national championships, lost both times. And then Greg Marshall just gave me an unbelievable opportunity coming off a of Final Four year to come to um, Wichita, you know. And we had Fred Van Fleet 
Clee early. We had Ron Baker in the program. We went 35 and one. Then we went 30 and four, and we beat Kansas and uh, Indiana in the NCAA tournament. And then you know the East Tennessee State opportunity happened, and and I jumped on it. So uh, let's go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you get fired on your birthday. You're cleaning out the office. Um, three kids. Three. And you had a no-show claw, or you couldn't you couldn't coach for a year. Well, I could coach. You know, sometimes I think what happens with show cause people show cause. they get scared when they hear that, and rightfully so. But my show cause basically said that I couldn't evaluate a prospect in Division One for a year. So you could coach. I could have coached base, but I knew I I knew I didn't really I wasn't going to put that burden on somebody else. I had a couple people ask me, talk to me about coming on their staff in Division One, but I felt it was best for me to go back to junior college, get back to doing what I love to do, you know, and basically, you know, get back to my roots. And that's where I started. Um, we sold this big house we had in Knoxville. We uh, moved into a rental of about, you know, 1,500 square feet. Our family Are got. Are you talking about in Niceville? Niceville. Uh-huh. And we got to know each other. My family got reconnected. All I did was coach and, and uh, help these kids move on. And it really, at that point in my career, I think I needed that. I think sometimes success can be very intoxicating. We had a lot of success at Tennessee. And sometimes I think that stuff can go to your head. Is it when you were at Northwest Florida, Florida State? Yeah. No, right? Yeah. North, so in, in Niceville. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said something that resonated with me is that, you know, you wanted to help these guys get better. Right. But, uh, just, but get to Division One. There right. was It seems like there's a little bit more. I mean, and and I, I look at like when you were getting interviewed uh, to have the East Tennessee State job, mm-hmm. they were going to bring up your past. Sure. Um, was there anything that um, that was there any reservations on their part? Did they bring up stuff like That's that? That's a great question. You know, they came. We were getting ready to play um, Indiana in the NCAA tournament the week of the tournament. Doctor Nolan, our president. And Dr. Sander, who was our athletic director at that time, flew to Wichita to interview me. So they came to practice that day. I was on a Monday. And so um, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I got to do good here in practice. You know, I told Coach Marshall they were coming. He was great about it. So that night we went out for dinner. And I was prepared, like you just said, for all these questions about what happened at Tennessee. They never asked me one time. Not one time. Why? I think for have, them, have you not gone back and go, okay, I want to know yeah, why you haven't asked Yeah, me. because they told me they had already done their homework, and they already had vetted that they out. They vetted you out. And they knew what had happened. They knew what my involvement was, and so they felt very they felt comfortable with it. But I kept, I kept being prepared for the question. I probably prepared for that more than any question I would have been asked in an interview was that question, and it never came up. And I remember leaving the dinner going, this is amazing. I, I can't believe they didn't ask me that. And I knew then if they called and offered me the job, I was going to take it. And then 48 hours later, they did. Wow. And and I'm sorry to switch back, mm-hmm. but you, you, you go back, I think, in jobs like coaching, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, People get fired a yeah, lot. Everybody right. gets fired. They do. Uh, you get rejected at some point, uh, or you don't win. That's always tough to do. It, it's got to be tougher when you have, you know, a family to take care mm-hmm. of. And then you, ha- I know now that I understand the the no, what is it, show cause, show cause, yeah, show show cause. cause. Um, that you were able to get that. But still, there's that um, stigma. Yeah, that that stigma. But there's also that panic. 
Oh, yeah. uh, you know, of of, and I think that not only with what you what happened back then, but just in your job in general. No question. I mean, on March twenty second, I don't have a job. Okay, and what am I going to do? This is my twenty second year in coaching. Like you said, it, it took twenty two years, but it happened. I got fired, and I told my wife that. I said, you know, Janetta, we're lucky in a way. This is only the first time in twenty two years this has happened to us. This happened to a lot of my friends over and over and over and so but the one thing you have to remember as a father is when you your children are looking at you you know and you and you preach to your players and you preach to your children every day hey when you get knocked down what do you gotta do gotta get back up so what's how's dad gonna handle it now that you know shoes on his foot and so i just chose to get up and start swinging you know and i i went after a couple junior college jobs and northwest was one of them and i was very fortunate to get that job, in my opinion, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, and it was under tough circumstances because Bruce Stewart. A lot of people know who Bruce is. Bruce was a tremendous coach, and uh, and got a brain tumor and passed away. You know, during that year before I got the job, so they were just looking for a coach, and and here I was, and they gave me that opportunity. And I'll always be thankful, you know, to the AD Mickey Inglet for giving me that opportunity because he didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know, and because it, what you just said when that happens to you, and we hadn't even been to the committee of infractions yet when we got fired, so the show cause wasn't even on me yet. But there's that stigma of going through that, you know, two year year. Death March, right, basically, right. you know, on ESPN. Every time you see your team uh-huh. and your name and this and that, you know, it just, it just, yeah, it, it builds on you. But the best thing I did was to get a job, and the best thing I did was to move away from Knoxville. And, and I love Knoxville, but once I once I got outside of that bubble, I realized that most people don't even really know what's going on, you know. And so I, it was it was refreshing for me to kind of get out from underneath that. You know that cloud, and and it helped me move on. You did pretty good down there. Yeah, too. we did great. <laughs> you know, but but I had really good players, and I had you know I brought Jason Shea with me as my assistant. You know, Jason is with me now. You know, he was at. Tennessee. Did you know Jason before? I know well, we worked together at Tennessee for okay. five years. Okay. You know, and he was a full time assistant. So how many junior colleges have you know two high major full time assistant coaches running their program? And you know, Brooks Savage was with us too. He's on my staff here now, and so we had really good staff and good players. Um, I asked you, uh, or I read where you played baseball at yeah. Southern Arkansas. Yeah. And, uh, but I want to know, like, uh, did you play basketball too? I did. Okay. I did. I was a, a really good high school player in a small town. I graduated with uh, 32 people. And so I, I played four sports. And when you're a town that big, you, you play football, basketball, baseball, and track. Baseball's in the summer in Iowa because of the weather. So I could do four. Um, you know, I graduated third in my class. I was all state in basketball, football, uh, baseball too as a pitcher. I decided to go to junior college, and, and my parents, my you know, they were like, "Why are you going to junior college? You know, uh, you, you know, you, you're a really good student." Well, I had a lot of Division three offers. I don't know. There's not a lot of Division three schools in the South, but where I'm from, it's high academic, no scholarships. And I wanted to play. I wanted a chance to play Division One, Division Two. I wanted to play basketball. So I went to junior college to try to improve my recruiting opportunities. Because back in 1983, 82, where are you, you going to go get recruited at? BC camp, maybe? Bill Cronauer, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. You know, other than that, you really don't have a lot of opportunity growing up in Midwest Iowa. So I went to junior college and played both. And, you know, um, really was a better baseball player than a basketball player. Went to Grandview College in Des Moines for a year. NAIA played baseball, basketball. I was a suspecting pitcher. Pitcher. 
through about 86, 87. You know, not bad, but not not major league level. And so my senior year, I was getting ready to be a a, a page with this. I think it was down at the, I don't remember, the House of Representatives, state reps in, in Des Moines. I was going to go to law school. I had all these things, and I just I decided to leave. And I went to Southern Arkansas to be to play baseball. All the way to Arkansas. Yep. And it was a dry county, and I thought it meant they didn't have any rain. <laughs> I didn't know. I'd never heard of a dry county in my life. And so uh, I went there, and we went uh, – we went 47 and three. Went to got third in the World Series, and I met my wife there, and it was a great opportunity. And I was telling you in the car, I came in in relief in the World Series and gave up a grand slam to Tim Salmon. He hit it. It's one. He hit it so far. Something I wouldn't be telling. I didn't even look. I just asked the umpire for another ball. I didn't even look at it. It went so far, but ended up vulturing the win out of that. <laughs> oh Lord! All right, so. When you when you came to Eastern Tennessee State, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a great opportunity. Uh, you didn't waste any time reinvigorating ETSU's program, uh, and you engaged in the fan base, almost kind of like taking out of a page of what you and Bruce, Coach Pearl, did mm-hmm. at Tennessee. Yep. So is it his script, your script, combination oh. of script? Because of course he's he doing yeah. that at at Auburn as well. But I yeah. think it's it's. For me, I think it's brilliant. I think it's you have to do it, but I know it's a lot of work. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I think anytime you sit next to a great coach, an architect like that, you you learn, you know. And so there was a lot of things I learned from Billy Gillespie. You know, Billy Gillespie was the Big 12 coach of the year when I was at that Texas A&M. A&M. Yep. And a lot of things that we do in practice are rooted in what I learned from him. And then I went to be with Bruce who was the SEC coach of the year, and we averaged 25, 27 wins a season. Learned a lot from him as far as pressure defense. And then promoting your program. I mean, he spent – every day he got up, he promoted our program until he went to bed at night. I've never seen a person speak more than him to anybody. Now, now I'm not just talking about, you know, Zig Ziglar or the Booster Club and maybe the Guardian Club or uh, – it didn't matter. He was always putting Tennessee basketball first. So I had a great – opportunity to learn from him with that and then Greg Marshall who in my opinion can do it all you know he's got the he can do the media he can do the coaching he can recruit some guys are good at one thing maybe two things but not three things he's good at all three and so when I went to to East Tennessee State one of the things they asked me to do was to uh, engage the fan base okay and so um, I did you know um, used Twitter I used Facebook uh, Instagram and then I spoke a lot. I spoke 66 times from the day I got the job to our first game that first year. And I still do a lot in the community, and I think it's important. But the fans got to feel like they can feel you. They got to feel like they can touch you. Gotta you got to do it honestly. Yeah, yeah and you have to do you, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to be straight up with them. You, it can't be phony. And yeah. and so I think over time we've built this credibility in our in our community, not only myself, but our team. We do a lot of community service, too. I sense you have a – you probably have a lot of fun doing some of these do. things, too. I do. You know what, uh, Ryan? And when I quit having fun, I'm going to quit coaching. Uh, I really am. I, I enjoy it. I have fun with it. Um, I like to have a good time in my office. It's not My office is not a place that, um, oh, man, don't careful coaches in. Don't say anything. He's, he's in a bad mood. I, I don't walk around on eggshells. Um, I have one rule with our players. Uh, they have to check in the office every day before 1 p.m., Monday through Friday. 
They have to have a conversation with one of us. And the reason why I do that is so I can make fun of what they're wearing or how they look or just to have a real conversation with them, not basketball-related. And so I'm keeping it real and I'm keeping it kind of free like that I think helps. Oh. Well, I remember when, when Coach, uh, when Bruce mm-hmm. got the job, I think it was at, where was he, West Green Bay or something like in that? Milwaukee. Milwaukee. And he comes in at, to Portsmouth. Right. He just got the job. Uh, I'm sitting where I am uh, on the corner. He's orange track suit. Oh, I, yeah. He may even had a hat on. He did. And he comes down next to me and put his arm around me. He goes, yeah, how you doing? You know, I'm going. This is at Tennessee. You know, and I don't, oh, yeah. I can't remember if he was there to support the Tennessee guys at the Portsmouth tournament or if we actually had a Milwaukee you guy. You might have had a Milwaukee. Yeah. I wasn't at Milwaukee. I was at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And so Bruce hired me from A&M. Um, so I don't know. I can't remember. I don't think there would have been a Tennessee guy there. I think it's probably would have been the Milwaukee guys because he had just gone to the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. lost to Illinois. But, yeah, he loved wearing that orange. I wore that orange sweatsuit every time I went recruiting to the point that everybody kind of called me a bottle of Gatorade. I looked like a bottle of Gatorade walking around. Oh, all right. Let's 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 start. Uh, let's talk about um, your program a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um you lost all five starters, yep. uh, but yet you still got picked to finish third in the SoCon yeah. uh, with three players in the preseason all-SoCon team. You got Bo Hodges, of course, who is your freshman player of the year, Trey Boyd, who is a transfer from your old school at Northwest Florida State Community College, and Jerome Rodriguez, who is also uh, a transfer from uh, from Niceville, mm-hmm. uh, but last year he missed the, sh- uh, missed the season with with a shoulder injury. Now, um, your roster has featured players from all different kinds of backgrounds, and you, I think, was dubbed it uh, the land of the misfit toys. Yes. Um, uh, and I do have some questions about sure, that. Sure. Um, but, I mean, like a couple years ago when you were uh, made the, the tournament, right. you had, uh, I think at the one point, you had um, five players that came directly from junior college, including uh, your leading scorer, T.J. Comer. Correct. Uh, and then you had three Division One transfers, and I'm going to mm-hmm. butcher this, uh, Hannah Masquera Piera, Correa, uh, um, and Peter Jerkin, who came from Indiana, and right. of course, Tevin Glass, who is from Wichita State. Yep. And from here, uh, from Atlanta. That's right. Yeah. And so Masquera Perea, mm-hmm. uh, and so he was d- dismissed from Indiana's Correct. team. You have these guys. You got the misfit toys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not thinking this is like the first thing I thought of was Jerry Tarkanian, but it doesn't <laughs> seem like Jerry no. Tarkanian. You know, no. I know that. Uh, tell me about why you call it the land of misfit. Well, toys. I mean, you've never looked at Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as an instructional video. Well, not 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 really. Okay. Except for I might ask well, you, know, you who's your Charlie well, in the box. You know, Santa Claus flies over this island, and there's these really nice toys down there, and they need a home. You know, they're they're just a little beat up, a little nicked up, and so at that point, you got to realize. Remember where I'm coming from now. I've, I've been nicked a little bit, mm-hmm. and so I got to. I'm not. A, I like those kind of stories, you know. And I have 11 years of junior college experience in my pocket, and so uh, that type of uh, 
team doesn't really intimidate me. You know, I don't mind change. A lot of guys want to go the you know the the way they want to do it. They want to get some high school kids and build, and you know, in year three and four, have a good team. That's fine. I get it. You know, but to me, doing it the quote unquote right way is to graduate your players, which were 15 out of 15, um, win games, which we're averaging over 25 wins a season, and fill our building. We have, we lead the league in attendance. And so when I got the job, I flipped the roster quick. Now. The relationships are what matter. And, you know, I, I knew Hunter really well from high school. I had recruited him at Tennessee. I knew his people. I knew he'd gotten in some trouble, but I, I trust, I knew him. I knew I could coach him. I knew I could get through to him. And he had two wonderful years sitting out one for me. Now he's playing and he played in Australia last year. He's playing in Poland right now. I'm real happy for him. It worked out, you know, for him. Um, Tevin Glass is from here and. In Milton, in in um, went Milton High School. Yeah, played for David Boyd. Played for me at Northwest Florida. Went with me to Wichita State, and when I left, he wanted to come. Paid his own way his first year at, North, at East Tennessee State because I didn't have a scholarship for him, and so um, just wanted a better opportunity, you know, at a, at a place where he could play. Peter Jerkin was already there when I got the job, but Peter and Hunter were friends because they yeah. played AAU together. And then I have the advantage, I believe, of eleven years of junior college experience, knowing where the really good junior college players are and what programs they're in. Sometimes you can be a great scorer in a, in a program that's not a very good program. You understand what I mean? I know that. I, I, I look for guys that come from winning established programs. And so I was able to dip into the Vincennes, uh, Northwest Florida, you know, and get some mm-hmm. really quality players. And uh, again, the roster change uh, doesn't intimidate me. You know, or I think a lot of coaches probably wouldn't want to go through that every year. You know, now this is the youngest team I've ever had, Ryan. I only have one senior. Yeah. It's crazy. Last year I had all seniors, you know, six. This year I've got one. And so um, recruiting has been a little less this fall. I haven't, been, I haven't had to leave as much. With When you have the diversity of mm-hmm. players and, and so forth, uh, as a coach – you you have to build a connection. You have to build a trust. Right. And is this is this a, a fast paced thing you do, but or is that through the recruiting process as well? What's the toughest yeah. thing for you I when think, you're trying to get these kids? I think chemistry and and you know the rules have changed so much that you know we can have eight weeks in the summer. That's a long time, you know. And then you got another eight weeks before you ever play your first game. So you got sixteen weeks of being together before you ever play. That's a long time. If you look, and, and the way I do it is, I make practices are hard. They're harder than the games, you know. And I'm hard on them, and, I, and they know it before they come. This ain't for the faint of heart. Now, you know, don't come here and not love the game. Don't come here and not want to be coached. And ultimately, what I do is I make it them against me in practice a lot of times, you know. And then we get to that point where they fight through it and they, and they band together, you know. And they and they they have to rely on each other. They have to help each other. To make it through practice, and when we get to that, then we can be we can conquer anything. And so, um, you know, I don't the, the chemistry thing because of the of the time of, of as much time as we have before we play our first game is really not that big an issue. It probably was a long time ago, not that long ago, when you couldn't work with your kids in the summer. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting them in August, September. Woo, that's a quicker window. Where now we don't we got more time. Well, is there a key denominator that that brings this together? You know, when you have, you know, or mm-hmm. if you have a, 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 a lack of a better word, uh, a kid that's not trouble, might get in trouble, or has mm-hmm. a bond of the system. Um, how do you do that? Because as a coach, you obviously 
you want to coach, but you also want to help. Well, I, yeah, I, th- I think the, the helping part is that off the court, you have to have a real relationship with them if you're going to coach them hard, in my opinion. That's making okay. them come in. Come to the it. office. Uh, come to my house. I live 10 minutes from the uh, to the arena. Having a real relationship with them, them understanding that I do care about them off the court and that they, my door is always open. I don't shut my door unless I just have to. So they can come in and visit with me, knowing that at 3.30 in the afternoon, I'm not playing, okay? And I'm, it's, everybody's accountable from 13 to number one. And they understand it. They understand that if you're my best player, you have to be my most coachable player. Because if he's not, and he's not the most bought-in guy, then nobody else is going to buy in. And so these are the things that I feel, and I learned this a lot from, you know, the coaches in the past. I mean, I learned a lot of this from Billy Gillespie, uh, who wasn't afraid to coach his best player. When we went to Texas A&M, Antoine Wright wasn't even uh, on the preseason um, all-league team. And then at the end of the year, he was a lottery pick. Lottery pick, Okay? But Billy kicked him off the team for two weeks in October. Nobody probably knows that. And made him run like 54 miles, some crazy amount of number. Okay, but but basically Billy was letting Antoine know that I'm the head coach, I'm the boss. And when Antoine finally gave in and realized that, then his career just took off. Yeah. AC Law was the same way. He played here for the Hawks. Yeah. AC didn't like it at first either. He didn't like mm-hmm. it. He, you know, he he tried to to butt the system. But when he finally relented, then he became the Koozie Award winner. You know, um, and that's what I tell the guys in the end. Guys, I have the hardest head in the gym. Ultimately, I'm going to win this battle. So when you finally, when you decide to quit fighting it, we can, we yeah. things will be great. You know what I mean? And so the sooner they figure that out, the better. What? Okay. So what would be your mm-hmm. your big recruiting pitch for someone to come to ETSU? Mm-hmm. And what do you think uh, the toughest part of your job is going to be? Um, is it recruiting, scheduling? What, what is it? Well, the toughest part is scheduling. Uh, we have a really hard time getting home games. Now, we can get away games like today. Tonight we're playing at Georgia State, you know, which is a – But a lot of people don't want to play you, too, the top the, – you know, Right, the that's the problem. That's too. Well, yeah. they, they, they don't, you know. And so um, since I've been the head coach, we've beaten Georgia Tech. We've beaten Mississippi State. You know, we lost a 22-point lead to Xavier on the road last year. So the word's out that, you know, those games are hard to get. And so scheduling home games has been my biggest, biggest hurdle. Um, I don't know how that's going to change. We're working on it. You know, we have great fan support. We lead the league in attendance. We've sold the most season tickets in school history the last two years in a row. Um, You know, the selling point is – Opportunity, you know. Uh, I play ten guys pretty much religiously, nine to ten. So you're, if I if you come to play for me, there's a pretty darn good chance you're going to play. Uh, you're going to play for some a really good staff, not just me, but like you, B.J. Mackey was a McDonald's All-American. Mm-hmm. He's the all-time leading scorer in South Carolina history. He's a 15-year pro overseas. Jason Shea has as much as Division One high major experience as I do. Brooke Savage has been with us just as long. So, you know, uh, those things are great. I think, you know, coming to a college town where um, everybody loves basketball. Like, for instance, if uh, one of my players walked downtown Atlanta today, nobody would know who he really was. They wouldn't. But if you walk downtown Johnson City tomorrow, everybody's going to know who he is. And that's good and that's bad. The good part is everybody knows who you are. The bad part is you got to be able to handle it, you know, because all eyes are on you. Right. And so, um, you know, when you when you and it's funny when I use that term to misfit toys, but the reality of it is they've all done great 
in Johnson City. You know, they graduated. They've stayed out of trouble, knock on wood, you know, because they're young men. But but um, those are great selling points uh, for our program. You say the land of the misfit toys, but it should be probably the mountain of misfit toys. <laughs> you know, I wonder what's in the air up there. Yeah. Speaking of which, you probably have seen Kevin Bacon's movie, The yes. Air Up There. I have. Yeah. Yeah, because I coached uh, this. This. Well, I guess he wouldn't be the star. What would he be? The co-star, Saleh. Saleh, the the person that, you know, Kevin was doing art. My job as a recruiter, he was trying to find the best player he could get his hands on. So he went over to, to Africa and found Saleh, or his name was Gitanga Mina. Mm-hmm. Brought him back to the United States after going through all these trials and tribulations of getting him out of his tribe, and then, you know, in a typical Disney story, he's you know he starts for his team, and I'm sure they win a lot of games. Well, when the movie was over, and this was um, mid-1990s probably, Ryan, I want to say 95, 96, I was in the summertime at Barton County Community College in Great Bend, Kansas, and I got a phone call from Bob McAdoo. Now, I'm thinking Bob McAdoo can do, yeah, okay. So I thought it was one of my friends messing with me, so I hung up on him. I said, oh, yeah, McAdoo can do. Boom, hung up. Call back three minutes, uh, 30 seconds later, Steve, you know, this is Bob McAdoo. I'm like, oh, man, this is Bob McAdoo. Oops. So Bob says, hey, I was a technical advisor on this movie, um, The Air Up There. Have you seen it? Well, yeah, I'd kind of seen it. You know, would you, um, this young man, Gatanga, whose who's name was Saleh in the movie, wants to come to the United States and play. Um, Pat Kennedy recommended you from Florida State. Would you be interested? Well, sure, I'd be interested. So I ran home. Uh, I went Actually, back then, it was Blockbuster, and you went and got a VCR. VCR, baby. Got a VCR tape, threw it in, watched it, and I thought... Heck yeah, I'll take this guy. And the and, and I the, the funny twist of the, the whole thing was the NJCAA um, initially ruled him ineligible because he had been paid, okay, to be in the movie. So my argument was he wasn't paid as a player; he was paid as an actor. Mm-hmm. And so I went through the movie, and I stopwatched every time he played in the movie compared to the acting, and he only played like a minute and thirty seconds in the movie. And the acting was the rest. And we won the argument. And so he got eligible, played for me for a year, um, really from Kenya, hated Western Kansas wintertime, which a lot of us do. And he uh, <laughs> yes, transferred He transferred to Miami Dade, which I didn't blame him. Oh. And so, yeah, it was a heck of a story. And we had unbelievable crowds that year, uh, ki- kids from all over the world coming in to get his autograph. It was a, it was quite an experience. That's unbelievable. That sounds like a... Um, like something from my father, you know, one of yeah. my father's stories. And you, you've known or met my dad. Well, or... I did. You know, not shortly after that, I had another one of those stories where I took a sight unseen, seven foot three, Alex Radojevic from Montenegro. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking I had this young man, Paige Matterich, in my program, who's a, a, a great player. And he's up. He's an agent overseas now. But anyway. I go through this guy and I get this seven foot three kid. So I'm thinking to myself, well, when he gets off the plane, if he's just at least six ten, I'm happy, right? I mean, come on, nobody's seven three. No one's seven three. Well, he comes off the plane bent over in the Great Bend, Kansas, on that it was Memorial Weekend. I'll never forget this. And he bent and he stood up and he was legit seven three. And I was like, oh my god! And he couldn't speak a lick of English, right? Not a oh, lick. So gold. we went 
to Burger King when we got off the plane. He was so tall that he touched the board behind the counter what he wanted. Okay, he, I swear to you. Because <laughs> he couldn't speak. He, he, couldn't, just... he touched the chicken. Okay, he touched the chicken sandwich. I was like, oh, my Lord. So this is the summer of um, Jerry Maguire. Okay, mm-hmm. so Alex learns how to speak by watching television and watching movies. So one day he's in the in the gym going, show me the money, show me the money. And he's shooting threes, right? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. no. I'm going to show you where the money is. It's down here on the block, buddy, at 7-3. And so I coach him my freshman year. I bring him off the bench. You know, we won 27 games. I think we won 29. I decide to leave. And I take my first Division One job at the University of Idaho. And so my assistant coach, Ryan Cross, stays and keeps the job and takes my, the ne- that team with Alex to the national championship the next year. And in that June, I was sitting in Washington, D.C., and I heard David Stern say, with the 12th, pack, 12th pick in the NBA draft, the Toronto Raptors take Alexander Radojevic. And I almost passed out. I mean, <laughs> you think about it. He came off that plane two years. He had a sack. A close. That was it. And then in two years, he's a 12th pick in the NBA draft. It was unbelievable. So your dad called me when I first got him, and he asked me, "Hey, I heard you got this seven for three guy." You know, I'm like, "How did you know?" You know, I mean, how do you how do you know that? Of course, you know, obviously he knows. Yeah. And so he was asking me all these questions about him, and I said, "Well, he's a better soccer player right now than he is a basketball player because he can kick a soccer ball." And uh, but two years later. There he was, and your dad knew right away. Your dad was the first yeah. one to call me about him. I love it. Yeah, that just reminds me, like, you know, Pops finding Dennis Rodman and, yeah. and then Scottie Pippen just made those calls. And, you know, it's, it's a lot different nowadays, of course, with technology and availability. And, oh, there's and no that. secrets. But, yeah, there's barely any secrets. I was a senior at Southern Arkansas when Scottie was a senior at UCA, and he it's, he missed the bus. to the Don Dyer was the coach. He missed the bus to the our game at Southern Arkansas. Somebody drove him down. Started at halftime, first pass to the wing, back screen, lob, dunk, game over. It's on. Really? Yo, true story. He he was. I mean, I didn't think. I mean, obviously at that age, I'm the same age. I like. You don't know how good he really truly is, but then, obviously, when he got in the NBA, yeah. he proved it. Well, just like a little extra hard work of you know doing your due diligence and making those extra calls. Right. Um. Well, listen. I know that you have to get back to getting ready for the game tonight. I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me. Steve Forbes is a lifer. He loves the game and he loves to teach. And he's been accountable. And he's never afraid from the questions about his mistakes. And and it's made him a better person. And he'll tell you that. And players like him. And in order to be a or at least to have success as a coach, you have to gain their trust, and these players trust them. Now, Coach Forbes, like many other coaches, may not trust the officiating, but he trusts his players. So check back here and on The Drive, ryanblake.com, for more of The Drive on the Road with Ryan Blake. Oh, yeah. It's all about The Drive, baby.